What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number 15. Today we are talking about disruption in the cleaning market. Really excited to have Alex Reed, a co-founder of Truman's here. Alex, thanks for joining. Yeah, Gally, thanks for having me. I'm really, uh, really excited to be here and chat with you today. Definitely. So Truman's, uh, I just want to give a little backstory about how I found Truman's because I think it, it'll set the context of like why I'm so interested in this cleaning company. I, I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw an ad that was like uh, the Truman's product and their whole concept is you put this concentrate in the this cleaning bottle and then they only ship you the concentrate and so you're not wasting gallons and gallons of water that are being shipped around unnecessarily. So as HyperChange, someone who's focused on sustainability, disruption, making supply chains more efficient, reducing the overall impact of sort of our lives and kind of following companies that do that, I was like, wow, Truman's is hitting the nail on the head, disrupting an industry that nobody is paying attention to, cleaning, but there's so much room for improvement and innovation. And so I actually emailed Alex and was like, how do I invest in this company? Because um, I'm so excited by the potential. And they were like, Thank you, but no thank you. Um, but anyway, ever since then, I've, I've been super interested in them um, and just kind of following this company. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. So um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about you know what Truman's is from your perspective and, and how you guys started the company. Yeah, and it's funny because your outreach was not unusual. We uh, joked in the very beginning, like the first couple of weeks after we launched Truman's that um, we wish the customers were coming as fast as the investors, but it was one of those things that I think, you know, it's one of those ideas when you see it and you're exposed to it, you think, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Why hasn't anybody done that so far? Um, and for us, you know, the, the cleaning industry, um, was really ripe for change because this is one of those obvious ideas. Um, and, and I would say that it's been done before. Um, and what I mean by that is concentrates have existed in the marketplace. And so for us, um, one of the things that we considered before really developing this product line and, and, and settling on, on what we wanted to offer the customer was really evaluating why it hadn't worked. Because to your point, it's got great environmental benefit to it. You're reusing your bottle. You're not shipping water all over the country. Um, but when you look at the form factor when you look at the way it's sold to the customer at the retail center, um, it, it's not conducive to uh, an assisted learned uh, habit for a customer. You can't just put a powder bag or something like that on the counter and expect a customer to know what to do with it. So we found that consumers were uncomfortable mixing their own. They didn't want to touch chemicals. They weren't sure if they were diluting it. And in some cases, they weren't diluting it to the right level. So you weren't going to have great performance. There were all these reasons why it hadn't worked. So we wanted to make sure, one, that we nailed the presentation, that it was so easy to use, so easy to understand. I think that's kind of the reaction you and the other investors had was, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, but two, we wanted to really rethink a lot of things about the cleaning space that we felt like had been overlooked over the years. The product line was a mess. These companies didn't interact with their customer in any kind of way. You know, Their customer was the retailer. Um, so you had just a lot of boring brands that had no relationship with the customer. And I feel like anytime you see that, regardless of how well the product works, there's an opportunity to improve that market. So that, you know, more than anything is what drew us to the space was an opportunity to just rethink the entire experience from start to finish. Um, and the environmental benefits in our mind is, is a byproduct of that. You know, it's a nice to have, um, but we thought there were a lot of other things that needed to be changed too. Yeah. And one thing I think is so interesting, I don't really want to call you guys a tech company, but I feel like the the focus on direct to consumer leveraging the internet to kind of build that customer relationship is also a key innovation of Truman's beyond just the, the product form factor. 
Um, so I'm curious if you could talk about that kind of strategy and the benefits of being, you know, I have a Truman's account, I'm going to Truman's.com, that, that connection with the brand. Yeah, I think, you know, tech company is, is broad and there's other terms like digitally native, uh, but I think they're all pointing to the same thing. And, and that was one of the reasons we felt like now the market was ready for concentrates is because you have the convergence of all of these factors, one of which is technology makes it very easy to connect with your customers, makes it very challenging at the same time, because there are so many different ways you can talk to a customer, but it's almost becoming table stakes for businesses to have a social presence, to have an e-commerce store, um, to have a form of customer service that is live, whether that's phone or chat or text messaging is is increasingly becoming a a popular choice with consumers. Um, And I think you know, when you have companies that start in that space, it's a lot easier for it to be part of your DNA. It's a lot more difficult for a company like an SC Johnson or a Clorox or, you know, some of these big billion dollar companies that have been around for a hundred years that have these legacy infrastructures from a customer service support center overseas to the factories and distribution centers to the retail relationships that they have. When you're that big, it's incredibly difficult to change and layer on these yeah, new starting capabilities. Fresh is, is like they're not. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it, it's hard. And I think so nowadays, if co- companies, you know, such as Truman's are going to come in and disrupt the marketplace, not just from a product standpoint, but the way it's delivered, you almost have to think of yourself as a tech company. And really, all that is, is taking advantage of, of these technologies that are available to businesses today. But like I said, are tough to adopt when you're so entrenched in the way you've done business for for years and years. And uh, just to give a little bit more on your background, this is not the first sort of weird uh, kind of I don't want to say boring, but that type of industry you guys have had huge success on. Are you and your co-founder uh, John Bostock? Um, and so that was a company called Big Ass Fans that you worked on. And I'm curious if you could give us a little. I love the name, by the way, but you could give us a little bit of rundown of, of that story and, and how that went. Yeah, no, and I embrace it. I think boring, um, at least on the surface, boring products are are very exciting because you have almost more of a challenge as a marketer. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable calling myself a marketer first because I think it's important and, and it encompasses a lot of things. But, um, you know, the, the transition from big ass fans um, to Truman's um, was very seamless because we took a lot of cues from what the fan company was able to do. And, and for um, listeners who aren't familiar with big ass fans makes exactly what the name would suggest. Incredibly large ceiling fans up to 24 feet in diameter. Um, that was a, a product that existed before big ass fans, but was not particularly successful. Um, some of the reasons being it was boring. In fact, even big ass fans started as the high volume, low speed fan company, just like the least memorable name you can possibly come up with. Um, the products were all sold through distribution. So it was just one more item on the, the catalog of the distributor. You know, it wasn't being pushed. Mm-hmm. There weren't relationships with the manufacturer and the owner of that technology. So as that changed over time, you know, big ass fans came up with a direct disruptive name, really memorable, um, direct to businesses and ultimately direct to consumers, which is really where I cut my teeth on, on the direct side. Um, and, you know, really prioritized customer experience. We had customer advocates who their only jobs were to call customers and force them to tell us what went wrong. Even if they were so happy, it's like there has to be one thing we could have done better. And those types of relationships, um, you know, on big ass fans, when I left the company in 2018, over half its revenue was from existing customers. 
And, and that's really special, I think, because when you're doing a good job and you're innovating and developing great products, taking care of them, then that's going to pay off in the long run. And big ass fans had a very long-term view of things. And so again, when we started Truman's, even though it's a completely different space, we saw a lot of the same missed opportunities. You know, of course the product line was boring and, and lacked innovation. So we wanted to start there, but we saw an opportunity to have a brand that was a little more tongue in cheek, a little more playful, um, but back that up by having great customer service. You know, we have live chat available on our website over 12 hours a day. Our customers are constantly interacting with us there and on social media and via email. And we make it a point not just to take care of why they're contacting us in the first place, but to make sure it was a fun and memorable experience with us. And, and so I think that was missing from the cleaning space. It was very obvious to us at the time, but when I tell people that I went from fans to cleaning products, I think <laughs> you get a few of those confused looks like, what are, what are you doing with your career? Um, but the reality is, the way I look at it is, I'm just trying to build brands that are doing interesting things in markets that have been ignored. Um, and if, you know, in the distant future, I'm doing something outside of Truman's, I hope it's the same opportunity because I think that's really cool to go into an industry in which you have no bad habits, no experience, and just rethink it from start to finish. Totally. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have Truman's on is because I love the example of something you wouldn't think of, but a huge opportunity and exciting business. And through that lens, like big ass fans, you didn't mention this part was a huge financial success story and was sold for a huge amount of like 500 million or something. That's right. Um, and so, you know, huge execution, huge exit. And then um, I kind of want to talk about the the Truman's business. So you, you started this. Um, I tried to amass, didn't get in, into the round, but you guys now have announced a Series A with, uh, I think, Henkel, or I don't know if I'm saying yep. that right. Henkel. Um, which is a, a much bigger soap company. So I'm curious about, um, kind of, or cleaning cleaning products company. So I'm curious about, you know, why is that a strategic partner? And, and can you talk a little about um, that investment? Yeah, the, the Henkel investment, um, you know, they led our Series A, our, our seed round, excuse me, that closed um, just about a month ago. And... You know, we were reticent to uh, to even engage with Henkel. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of investors came to us early. You know, we we had barely gotten off the ground. Um, we we gave a lot of folks the stiff arm in a polite way. Um, Henkel was <laughs> was particularly um, aggressive and and in a friendly and persistent way. Um, but after a few times of declining them, uh, my co-founder John Bostock, his former boss at GE. Um, encouraged him to take a meeting. He, she knew somebody at, uh, at Hankel and thought very highly of him. So we reluctantly took the meeting and, and we were very skeptical going into it, but we were blown away with their self-awareness. I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, they're, they're obviously a large company, very resource rich, um, lots of IP, lots of distribution capabilities, buying power, et cetera, all the things you would think of. But what they recognized was that this change is coming to the industry and our hands are tied. You know, there's there's very little we can do and all the things I was describing about how hard it is for a big company to move off of what makes them all that money. Mm -hmm. um, so they recognized the change was coming. They saw us as being a big driver of that change and they just wanted to be part of it. So they wanted to have an investment and be part of it, but also be a resource to us. You know, they, not, not um, somebody that's telling us what to do or where to go because we both recognize what each other brings to the table. And so that self-awareness coupled with just their energy and passion for doing this in the space, you know, really led us to, to taking that investment. 
Um, and you know, it's like I said, only a month old investment and the partnership's been great so far. Um, I think this is a category we felt like needed change fast. And so, you know, part of our reason for taking on outside capital is because we want to just go after the space as aggressively as we can. Big ass fans had the big exit and believe it or not, that was a hundred percent bootstrapped, but that wow. was a, that was a 20 year, awesome. 20 year run mm-hmm. to get to that point. Um, and I think, you know, there are a lot of different ways you can fund and capitalize a business, but you know, that was incredibly admirable to me. I mean, that's really putting it all on the line for us. We saw that and evaluated that as an option to go with slow and steady, but we felt like slow and steady had failed, um, with concentrates being around and we needed something more aggressive. And, and like I said, we found a good partner in, in a very unexpected way with Hankel. Yeah. It's refreshing to hear a big company is so open-minded like that. Um, and I, so I kind of want to dive into the strategy of, of the business and the concentrates. I think this is really interesting. Um, and I, on my video of Truman's, thank you guys for commenting. There was a lot of interesting feedback about, you know, is there another company doing this? Couldn't I just make like vinegar at home and clean? Um, and so I think there's some interesting stuff to unpack there. And I guess the big disruption of, of Truman's is like, you guys have a goal to get these concentrate sort of format. Um, that's a lot more efficient to be far more used than it is today. So I would say even though there is home cleaning products or even though there is other brands, like it's not really moving the needle on the industry yet. And so that's why to me, I'm like, okay, I hear you, but the industry hasn't changed. So I think they're, um, and I'm, I'm curious if you could give, you know, your kind of take on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of chuckling to myself because there's this subculture on the internet of vinegar users for cleaning and, yeah. and they're incredibly aggressive no matter where we show up it, it you know, and and we tell them all the same thing, and, and we love those people. We, we said, you know what, if if that works for you, that's great. I mean, we think there are some downsides, but we're not going to get into a technical debate over vinegar. Um, but we say anything that's not ready-to-use cleaners, we think is fantastic. So if you've found a home remedy that works for you, great. And if the other 95% of the market cleaned like you did, then we wouldn't have started Truman's. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we're very honest with people we didn't invent concentrates. They exist in different forms, but what I'll say is they've been unsuccessful. They are a very small part of the market today. And for us, we're not an environmental brand, but we want to change the industry. And we think it's going to take all of these companies going in this direction. And so for us, it's really about drawing attention to the space, the wastefulness of the entire supply chain and the product, it's about encouraging and, and almost putting pressure on the big brands to move this direction mm-hmm. um, because we're never going to be 75% of the market, but concentrates can be. And so for us, you know, we, you can look at success as exits. You can look at success as growth. We wanted to look at success with a very high level lens of moving the needle in the industry. I think that's what big ass fans did and, and success from an exit perspective followed. So if our attention is on, doing things that move the entire industry. We feel like our growth and our success will be a byproduct of that. Um, so, you know, again, when people want to comment that there are other companies doing this or there's a, a different way I can clean without single use bottles, it's, it's more of a like, well, hats off to you. And I, mm-hmm. they almost don't know how to react because they don't expect that from us. Yeah. You know, it, 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 for us, it's about accessibility, approachability. We wanted something that was easy to use, safe, convenient, um, priced appropriately, uh, because we could have 
a very expensive niche green product and have a very small customer base? And then what is our impact from that? We may be personally successful, but if we don't move the industry in a different direction, then, you know, the, we would miss on our goal. And that's why I think it, it was important for us to really establish that as kind of our, and, and the, the figure we came up with, um, admittedly somewhat arbitrarily was, was 50%. We want to see 50% of the market, uh, being concentrates in, in probably the next 10 years. And what are we at today? Our estimation is about 5%. Wow. And so I kind of want to ask a, a hard question. What is the moat or why, you know, why couldn't I just copy this or, you know, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I would say brand trumps intellectual property seven days a week. Um, and I don't mean brand like a logo or a product name or a marketing campaign. I mean the true experience that a customer has with your company. That's what a brand is about is what somebody thinks about you, um, what somebody would tell their friend. And so whether it's focusing on minimalizing our packaging, um, our, our post-purchase follow-up with customers, the performance of our product, all of these things blend together to make a singular brand experience. And we want that to be top-notch across the board. And, you know, I did a post the other day where I talked about how we have over 800 reviews and it's like 4.9 stars. They're overwhelmingly positive. And we leave up our bad reviews because you're never going to get it right for, you can never even think you're going to get it right for a hundred percent of customers. But I can promise you we follow up with 100% of people that don't leave us a positive review and ask them if there's anything we can do, you know, try to find out more about what went wrong. And I think that um, that level of focus is more of a moat than anything from an IP or, you know, technology perspective because that's incredibly hard to duplicate. I think especially these, these companies and brands that weren't born on this digital first era you know, they, they are disconnected from yeah, the end their user. Their customer's the retailer. I like exactly. that. When you said that, I was like, so interesting. It's a totally different mindset. Yeah. So they don't hear the feedback. I mean, you know, what, what happens there is if somebody has a bad experience, they probably just don't buy that brand again. Whereas we hear it because they bought it from us. They want to tell us that they had a lousy experience. And I think as painful as that can be at times, that learning is so productive. Mm -hmm. We had um, we had examples where, where we lost tens of thousands of dollars at big ass fans on customers because of screw ups that we had. But the mentality was always, you're not going to make money on every customer. Don't try to make sure that the end result, which you can control is always a positive one. Mm -hmm. Something about the future of Truman's a little bit. Is this, are you willing to talk about your product lineup beyond this? Or is there so much room in the four? We only have two of the cleaners, but you have a kit with four different cleaners, glass, kitchen, bathroom, or Enforced, yeah. Force. Um, so is this the, the focus for now? Is this, I'm assuming there's a multi-billion dollar market just for this, but um, do you, is Truman's thinking beyond this first product? Yeah, I, it, it is a good question, um, and I'll answer it in a couple of ways. One is just yes. You know, we see opportunities um, to expand beyond our core product line. Um, the reason that I, I don't think it's as straightforward of an answer is because a big part of our mission is simplifying cleaning. Um, so what you're not going to see from us is three more varieties of the glass cleaner or a specific cleaner for your countertops. Um, because you know, that, that is part of why the industry got so wasteful, got so confusing for customers. So I think there are other, you know, areas where we have to clean, we clean our clothes, we clean our dishes, we clean our cars. 
that we can have an impact. Um, but we don't want to just add SKUs uh, to our product line um, for the sake of growth because we feel like that's counter to our mission. I feel like a lot of D2C brands, that's the uh, that that's kind of the cycle that they get into, which, um, you know, varying degrees of success depending on which brand you look at. But for us, putting such a particular emphasis on simplicity, I think we have to be very careful about what new products we introduce and make sure that the experience isn't going to be degraded by adding more products. You know, is it just as easy for them to buy? Is it just as easy if they get a subscription with us to manage that subscription? Does the product work just as well as the others? You can't just, just because we have a platform and a customer base doesn't mean we just want to start tossing stuff into it without giving it the same thought and care that we did these four products. So I think for us, you may see a slightly slower cycle on new product introductions relative to other direct-to-consumer brands. Um, But again, I think that's part of knowing what your brand stands for and what you're trying to be for customers and then sticking to that. You know, it'd be very easy for us to have microfiber cloths on our website tomorrow, but why? Like, Mm -hmm. what value are we adding there sourcing a cloth from somebody just so we can sell more product to our customer? Doesn't improve their experience. Doesn't, it's not anything that we're improving. So, um, that those are sort of the hard questions that we're asking ourselves as we look at the different categories and, you know, to tie back to the Henkel investment, frankly, that's an area where, where they're of tremendous value because they have a, a large, um, portfolio of patents and, and technology. And so we can really get comfortable with, okay, what exists, what maybe is, is really productive and useful, but because of the way it was taken to market, it didn't work. Um, because you know, this could have been taken to market via retail, but I guarantee you it wouldn't have worked. Um, and and so that's, that's one good advantage of working with them is, is we can be really thoughtful, um, as relates to any new products we introduce. And and one thing that's really unique about, um, your company Truman's is that you're not in New York or Silicon Valley or LA or somewhere right or Seattle, somewhere I'd think a crazy, exciting new startup or tech kind of thing is happening. And so. I think that's really exciting. So could you talk a little bit about you, you're based in Louisville, about you know the whole startup experience there? Because it seems like from a media venture perspective, Truman's has really broken through and you guys have gotten like the it Silicon Valley factor without being from there, which I think is very, I've never really seen that done before. I, yeah. it's, it's rare that you find that. Well, I'll start by asking you a question back. When was the last time you went into a Walmart? Uh... <laughs> Actually, about a year ago, before I went to the Tesla factory, and I had to buy steel toe boots, but not so, frequently. And that right? was the last. That was like the first time in like t- ten years, maybe once in like a decade. <laughs> and and I'll say that's not normal. Um, I think you know, you, oftentimes brands focus on the coast and they forget about how much population there is throughout the U.S how they buy, what they think about things. We, we have people every day tell us, I wish you were in my local store. And that doesn't mean we want to go retail tomorrow. But I think when you lose touch with, and I'm not suggesting you've lost touch, of course, but when, when brands lose touch with uh, the way their consumers interact with products in that space, and they think only about the coast, you miss a big piece of the market. And you know, I think New York and Silicon Valley are very important places for us. You've got you know, a lot of, um, of big ideas really take hold there and then spread throughout the rest of the U.S. But, you know, for us, one, we felt like we could be successful anywhere in the country with the right approach. 
Um, but two, you know, we, we really wanted to be in the heart of America. You know, we're manufacturing in Ohio. We're headquartered in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, doesn't mean we're not in, in New York, um, you know, all the time for, for various reasons. But I think we're where our customers are. And that's important. And I think, you know, there's been um, some attention given to uh, to uh, Tristan Walker with uh, Walker and Company, and he's been putting a lot of emphasis on how he wants Atlanta to be the next hotbed of technology. My takeaway when I see things like that is you're going to see more and more companies um, picking where they want to be because something about the culture or the geography um, makes sense for their business model versus just assuming I have to locate my company in one of these cities because there's more entrepreneurial activity, there's more fundraising going on. You know, some of the things that have traditionally driven the almost the insulation of um, direct-to-consumer disruption, I think some of that will, will, will kind of come apart over the next few years. Um, you know, we have access to uh, the same investors, we have access to the same businesses that we want to collaborate with. And um, it, it, we even have employees uh, all over the country um, doing work with us. And, and there's just so much flexibility now with technology available to us that uh, we just didn't feel it was important to, to be on one of the coasts for Truman's to be successful. Yeah. And I feel like you're almost ringers in some level because you're not in Silicon Valley or New York and you're not like all of the smart people are moving there doing software companies and you're like, no, we're going to do, you know, cleaning, but we're also going to use that venture approach, raise capital. You know, you're probably not making money yet, but you're investing in growth, you know, cheap, cheap money, like helps the business grow and, and makes it successful. So I think it's such a cool example of, of Truman's and I kind of t- to wrap it up and like not only inspired by Truman's and I love the company and I would totally invest if I could. And I, I think it's going to be very successful, but I think it's inspiring to think outside the box about, new industries and I hope the viewers and listeners really think about that it's like every single industry every single product you buy is like an opportunity for disruption to be rethought and that's really why Truman's has hit me so hard it's like really puts me forces me to think outside the box um so on that note thank you so much for for joining um really appreciate the time and if you have any last words I'll put a bunch of links to Truman's below um, but any last words or shout outs for uh, the hyper changers? Yeah, I think you're you're so right about the mindset of looking at ordinary products. And if you ask why enough times, you'll probably find some way that you can improve that product. So you don't have to invent a brand new technology to uh, run a successful business. And, and I think um, your mindset is is just absolutely right. There's there's tons of room across every category you can think of. Um, and it may not be on the technology side. It may not be on the delivery side, may not be on the brand side, but if you look hard enough, you can find things that are being missed by, by some of the big giants in the space. So uh, it was great to talk with you. Um, I'm excited about Truman's. Um, maybe we'll figure out one way to get you, get you engaged. I know you really want to invest and, um, you know, making a podcast. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's awesome. Appreciate your support and, and really, uh, really glad we got to talk today. Awesome. Well, good luck with everything and maybe we'll have you on again soon. All right. Thanks, Gally. Peace out, guys.